Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. All right, we're live for another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today, I'm joined by a very special guest who's no stranger to the Jew3 Project podcast. I think he's been on about, this will be his third time, well, fourth, if you count the moderating of Courageous Conversations. BJ Thompson, welcome, BJ. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. For those who haven't seen your past episodes, can you just give them a little bit about uh, who you are? Absolutely. Uh, my name is BJ Thompson. Um, I'm a Dallas native, uh, not a cowboy fan or native or hater. Um, I'm also I also serve as a director of an organization called Go to Better Us, uh, which is very specific to growing people along the spectrum, whether you're in a relationship or whether you're single, um, so that you ultimately become a healthy person or a healthy couple. And um, also, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, with my wife and children. Um, my wife and I have been married for 15 years this year. And we have three children, 13, 9, and 7. So my life is full. And I'm uh, just glad to be here with you today. That's awesome. So you're a practitioner. Uh, a lot of times we see people on social media talking about relationships when they're not necessarily in one. Yeah. You need long-lasting. So you got receipts. Yeah, I do. And I got a lot of stress. <laughs> I, got, I just started getting gray hairs this year. <laughs> stuff that I do. So absolutely. Absolutely. So it's good to have somebody with receipts to talk about uh, what we're going to talk about today. We want to do a special uh, Valentine's Day tribute, uh, well, not tribute, episode, um, talking about Black love in the church and how it can be um, a type of apologetic, uh, because we know that when we talk about uh, Christ in the church, it's also a connection to marriage. And so a lot of people haven't seen a lot of healthy marriages, so they don't have a point of reference even for that passage to make the connection. Um, so how, BJ, do you think we can use uh, marriage, love, family as an apologetic, especially in the Black context? Absolutely. I mean, you know, this, this whole idea of relationship, Robert Zacharias has this line. He says that the greatest apologetic is an intellectual ascent. It's love. And so when you start talking about the whole notion of family, it's within a context of family that we first experience love. It's not in the context of a romantic relationships. And so if, if, if we really wanna see what it looks like to experience God, relationships hold for us this, um, sometimes this unspoken um, joy inside of us that we get to see love experienced from person to person. So I say that the, the family really is key because it's something that you can experience, it's something that we all can relate to, and it's something that God designed in order to be a picture of his relationship with us. And so, no, marriage and family is literally one of the first institutions that we see God using to communicate to the world his presence and how he's going to ultimately redeem it. So no, I think it's, it's very important. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important, uh, as I was saying before, because of our context, um, in, in the black communities where there's a lot of broken families. Um, Absolutely. how have you been able to, why is this so important as a ministry for you? Um, because I know it, it has a lot to do with you seeing and experiencing brokenness with families and you wanting to build, um, healthy families for our community specifically. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that the the reason why it's important for me, um, partly and very honestly, is because of the first five years of my, my marriage and relationship. You know, when I look back on the first, the initial years of my relationship, um, though we had sincere love for one another, you know, it was very difficult. It, was, I, it felt like there was this impossible thing of trying to overcome all of your selfishness, all of your um, lack of information, all of, you know, the, the obstacles that, that really just kind of came up after we said I do. And so what I would say is the reason why it's a passion is because I rec recognized that it wasn't just the issue that we were facing. That it was a face, it was an issue that many people across the world were facing at the same time, and so I think it's important for us to consider the the building of families, what we call build a better rest, because families ultimately shape society, uh, and if you don't have healthy cultures of family or even just proactive care, you find yourself always on on the back end of trying to help people, um, and it ultimately impacts children, it impacts grandchildren, which impacts cities which impacts communities everywhere. And so, no, it's absolutely an important thing um, for us. I think one thing, just to kind of make a little side note for us, is um, there was a report that came out in 1964 called the Moynihan Report. Mm -hmm. And the Moynihan Report, if you haven't read it, was um, kind of a, a State of the Union report, came from the government. And it talked about all of the post-traumatic stress um, and brokenness that had occurred through the transatlantic slave trade, through Jim Crow and segregation. But I think, uh, and, and then what it, what it did was it gave this recommendation that said that family has to be restored within the black community because as a nation, we had done things, atrocious acts that actually unhinged the family and separated the family. So yeah, that's absolutely why it's one of my passions. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about this uh, several times before, uh, the obstacles in the black community because of the trauma and the things systemically that have been done to separate mm -hmm. um, and destroy the black family. Um, you look at um, the mass incarceration, which takes a lot of African-American men out of the dating pool and how that affects the uh, formation of black families. And so, Absolutely. you know, in, 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 in a white evangelical context, there's a push for families, but in the black context, there's an obstacle because of the systematic um, systems in place that hinder the black family. So there was slavery and the transatlantic slave trade that, and all of that stuff that mm -hmm. broke up families. And then there's a, a perpetuation of it. So some people want to push, you know, for black families without understanding the obstacles um, to families in this generation. Do you think absolutely no? Absolutely, I totally agree. So I think part of the part of the way that you care for families is by knowing those obstacles, right? Mm -hmm. Too oftentimes we want to get past that trauma because it's so painful, um, and it's very difficult to talk about the fact that we own human beings as property and as animals for three hundred years. It's very difficult to say as a society we affirm um, this white superiority and this second class citizen. It is very difficult to talk about this. It's very difficult to talk about uh, the passing of laws that created um, disproportionate mass incarceration for people of color. But I think if you avoid those things as we're having pro-life talks, as we're having the restoration of family talks, what you end up finding yourself doing is skirting over the issues that would be um, systematic to the actual um, the, the actual conditions in specific families, as opposed to symptomatic. Symptomatic would be 
single parent home. Symptomatic would be mass incarceration. Symptomatic would be um, tons of children who go in and out of the system because they don't have a father. That's symptomatic. Systematic is, as a society, we created those things. And so what I would say is when it comes to this idea of recognizing those realities, the realities for us have to be faced, but the problem is they have to be faced with courage because of the amount of trauma that kind of just comes, it's birthed forth out of this idea of, man, I don't really like to deal with this pain. I don't want to know what happened. I just want to move forward and be be honest. It, it's kind of what you're seeing now um, in some of the, the policies and the things that are coming out of the, the government that, you know, there's some things that, that are not lining up. And there's a lot of senators and congressmen saying, well, we just want to move forward, right? But until you deal with what's behind you, you can't actually move forward in a healthy way. So, no, I think you're absolutely spot on when it comes to thinking about how do we think about this in a clear, objective way that gives credit but doesn't necessarily characterize how we care moving forward. So, mm -hmm. great question. Yeah, and I think that trauma also hinders people from in in our generation wanting to pursue uh, marriage. Uh, because they're dealing with trauma. How how do you help? I know you counsel a lot of couples, single and- I do, I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out from it. <laughs> Very stressed out from it. You tell me that every time I ask you about you counseling couples. <laughs> they're stressful. They're, 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 I mean, it's a lot of issues. It's, it's very, very stressful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's how a lot on the line. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. How do you- um, help people who are single that are dating and say, you know what, I just can't make that step for marriage. Uh, I know it 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 is paralyzing for a lot of men out there, um, and they're really afraid because of the trauma they experience, not having somebody to show them what it looks like. How do you help them navigate through that that space? Absolutely. So, I think that for us, we recognize that there was a gap. And the gap being that there was not a clear, objective, tangible way to see marriage up close. And so part of the reason why we started Build a Better Us was to create this presence where people could see and experience and touch these real live relationships. When, you know, one of my mentors, I love this line. He says this, you'll only be what you see. You'll only become what you behold, right? And so I think that a lot of times we think that just the intellectual understanding of a relationship is sufficient. When in reality, we really imprint our understanding on society, our understanding on relationships based off this idea of what we see and what we have access to, right? And so what, what we've done is we try to create access to couples and access to marriages via small groups, via, um, you know, intimate dinners, via just opening up your home and teaching and training engaged in married couples to actually be um, intentional about their relationship and open it up to others. And so part of the way that we've done it is we try to give access to singles, right? The other thing I would say is this, via preparation, you know, I think it's just real talk. It's giving people the space to process, is giving them the opportunity to, to say that hurt me you know, I grew up in this type of background. I grew up this type of perspective. And I think get everything on the table so that as we're dealing with it, we kind of know who you are, why you're doing what you're doing. And what are the things that you learn from your parents? What are the things you feel like you learn from the society so that we can kind of 
come alongside you and kind of correct the things that are off, but then also affirm the things that are also on point that are really healthy. And so what I found is that in a lot of ways, you become a marriage mentor. Mm -hmm. You really step up into a space that um, you, you're helping people, but as you help people, you're helping yourself. Um, and that's kind of the iron of it all is that the more you open, the more you share, the more you love, the more you're actually helping yourself and you're not necessarily just helping the person that you're serving. So, yeah. And I, I think that's really what uh, good how you were talking about. You give people access to couples because Absolutely. in a world where we have, quote unquote, access through social media to couples, we often. That's not access, Lisa. Yeah. We, we have their highlight reel, which is what I was about to say. <laughs> We have access to their highlights. And so people have this image of relationships that's not always um, good. You know, hashtag relationship goals. You know, <laughs> last week, I mean, uh, last year, Nicki Minaj and Meek Mills was a lot of people relationship goals. And now they're not together anymore. So, you know, we, we hashtag relationship goals on pictures or couples that look cute. And then people have expectations for relationships because they haven't had access to real people doing day-to-day -day life. Um, so I think that's what you're doing is really important, especially for Absolutely. the culture. Absolutely. How do you find, do you find that social media is kind of hindering people's or a uh, relationship? Yeah, no, that's interesting. So I would say that social media in a lot of ways creates, um, you know, we see in social media, you know, you and your mate, you know, holding hands. We see in social media, you and your wife uh, or spouse um, going on vacations. But we don't get to see the things that are challenging to you. You know, maybe a miscarriage. Um, maybe the fact that you guys are having infidelity issues. Um, maybe the fact that you are... Um, having, you know, it, situations that are going on. And so I think that the part of the issue, the challenge, I wouldn't say it's, because I don't think it's all bad, right? I think that part of the issue is good because you get to see love and it stirs within you a desire to want to pursue and want to have something. So I don't think it's all bad, right? I think for the first time, we actually get to see couples mm -hmm. and get to actually get visual images of who they are and what they're doing. I think what's challenging is this, is that you don't get the comprehensive perspective of what that couple entails. And so my wife and I, you know, my wife and I, you know, we hold hands, you know, she's always kissing my face, you know, it's all kinds of stuff that's happening there, right? But we have to go through the, they call it the tunnel of chaos. And we have to work through issues all the time. And we have to talk through stuff and we have to humble ourselves and we have to come to places of reconciliation and say, I'm sorry. And I think because of social media, you don't get to see those things. You get to see the fact that we hug, hold hands and the things that we would want you to see. We don't get to see the other elements of it. And so what I would say is for those of us who are watching, the best advice I would give someone is get yourself around the person in real time. Right. I think that's the thing that's happened. Denzel Washington has been really harping on this idea of being present, being informed, and that if you really want to see change in your life, you have to get yourself out of just the news feed and put yourself in a place where you can live the real in time kind of life. 
And so I would just say it's ugly and it's pretty. It's both at the same time. And that's what you want. You want people who can model out both what's ugly and pretty so that you can get a real good understanding of what that looks like. So, yeah, great question. And uh, uh, something else that I know you do that I think is, is important, and I heard you say this, I think in the clip, you uh, kind of, you, you, you encourage people to do marriage in community. Um, because there's a, uh, in our community, in, uh, in just the U.S., it's kind of like me, my four, no more. Don't, you don't know what's <laughs> going on in my house. And you share how that kind of sometimes hinders people uh, from growth and development. Um, and so you kind of encourage couples to be open with other couples. Now you're not going to tell all your business, but you need somebody else that's in your business. Yeah. In your business to help you if your business is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does that, how does, how do you, why do you encourage people to do that? Yeah. So we encourage people to do that so that they can have a culture transparency. You know, I think the difficult thing about having a culture of transparency is that you have to be humble in order to do it, right? Like one of the issues that we deal with is the fact that people struggle to project. All we want to do is project what it looks like to look at a certain person and to engage in a way that you only want to be perceived. And the problem with perception is this, is that you only want to be perceived in the way that you want to be known. And so what you do when you when you stop projecting and you're very honest about who you are and what this means, it ultimately means this is that now you're being you are your full self, right? And so what I would say is this whole idea of not projecting allows you to be able to be an authentic you. And that's what people really enjoy, right? People enjoy when we're authentic. They don't enjoy when we are um trying to create this mirage of what it looks like to be us. And so what I would say is part of the dilemma that we, that we face is fighting the, um, fighting the desire to want to pursue this whole thing of looking a certain way. But when you are the, the authentic you, it allows you to be able to say, you know what, I'm broken. I need love. I need people I can trust. I need people who will encourage me but I also have something to offer. And so what I would say is this whole idea of being the authentic you allows you to do that. And, and sadly and unfortunately, most of us don't even have a space to be able to do that, right? Um, it, it, it's really one of the, the greater challenges is that we don't have the space as a couple to create the authentic self because the authentic self is very tension. It, it, there's a lot of tension involved in it, right? So, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say that the, the projection of self is, is a struggle. But if you can find one or two couples who can help you navigate through this whole thing, it will allow you to become more of who you are without having to project, it, without having to project who you necessarily want to be. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think that's helpful for not only married people, but singles as well. Um, not projecting just in, in community, in, in, in church spaces, this whole concept of projecting perfection or projecting, Absolutely. you know, this idea of who you are, you know, yeah, we post our devotionals. Yeah. We post different things about our close walk with God, but how does that look? 
practically? What obstacles or challenges are we facing? Do we have safe people um, to address those issues with that could call us out on our mess or that no even, you know, because a lot of people, when stuff comes out about them, it's it's not something that's new, but it's new to everybody because they've concealed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so people are caught off guard because we don't have relationships with people that really know us intimately. Um, so I think that's important to develop that skill in singleness. So you'll it'll be able to be transferred into marriage. Um, when we talk about like what are the obstacles for uh, couples, many times when they say that finances is the number one thing that breaks up couples. But um, would you agree that's the number one thing or would you say it's, it's it would be something different? Oh, I, I don't agree. I don't agree that it is finances that breaks up couples. I think it's pride that breaks up couples, hmm. right? Um, finance is a symptom, not the actual root of the process, right? You know, typically finances is always connected to trust and how you trust an individual and whether you trust the person that you're married to. And if you don't have that foundation of, I believe you, I trust you, I love you, then finances becomes a greater issue than what it actually becomes, right? And so what I would say is when we talk about this whole thing of root versus symptom, that you need to start investigating the whole idea of root. And, and this root for us has to be this whole idea of saying, you know what, I'm wrestling through what it looks like to love you in a meaningful way, to give you my trust, to give you my faith, um, to say I believe in this marriage, to say I'm committed to this thing. But but the issue isn't necessarily finances. Finance is just a symptom of this thing. And so I, in the long term, have already... Um, I've already challenged the whole idea of saying, you know what, we don't have the finances as the primary thing. The real primary thing is, I don't necessarily know whether or not you're committed to this thing. Are you committed to this marriage? Do you believe that God wants us to be married? Are you wrestling through this whole idea that says, you know what, we're committed for life and we are going to wrestle through whatever comes our way? Or are you saying, as soon as certain things come into the picture, I'm going to step back, I'm going to reevaluate, and I'm going to respond whether whether or not it, this thing is a good thing. And so what I would say is finances is, is just a symptom. It's not a it's not the root of what we are. And if we're going to get to really get to the root of who we are, it really means that we go, how is my relationship with the Lord? What does it look like? Do I really believe that he's good? Do I really believe that he's going to care for me? Do I really really believe that he's going to um, help us endure through this thing? And if I do believe that, then now I have to wrestle with, the, through, with, wrestle with you through that thing because that's ultimately what's going to carry us, not whether or not we have our finances on point. So I don't necessarily believe that those things are the... Um, outcome i believe they just symptom of what's going on mm -hmm. i think that's good uh i was asking one of my married friends what did she is she had a question she thought i should ask you uh today and you kind of uh tied <laughs> her question she had and uh what one of the uh things was how do you deal with this idea of always wanting to leave uh because i guess <laughs> Your marriage it gets hard and you're always kind of looking for that exit door or what is just enough that gives me 
where God will say, well, I get, you know, I get it. You could go, you could peace out. Um, and so for some people that's adultery, uh, for some no. people it's not. Um, what, what, how would you deal with that question? Yeah. I mean, you asking to, to leave really what that means at that point is that you're looking for the out. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're trusting the covenant commitment. You know, one of the things I love, there's a, um, there's a book called this momentary marriage by John Piper. And I love the fact that he hyper emphasizes the idea of covenant commitment. That is not just me and you in this covenant. It's you and I in the Lord in this covenant. Right. And I think that we, it's important for us to remember that because sometimes we think that this is just kind of a super reflection of a boyfriend and girlfriend. This is not the expression of you and I and God kind of in this covenant relationship. And so the first thing is I think we all need to settle in our minds is it's you and I plus the Lord in this marriage. And so that's the first thing is that, one, I need to know that. Two, if that's the case, now I need to deal with my own immaturity, right? Because too often times we want to deal with the person that's next to us. We want to deal with our mate. We want to point out their issues. We want to help them move forward. And we want to make sure that they know that what they're doing is not incons- is not consistent with where we're trying to go. When the reality is, what I need to do is I need to check myself. I need to figure out who I am. I need to figure out where I'm falling short. I need to figure out what it looks like for me to be healthy in the season, what it means to what it means to be focused in the season, what it means to be um, intentional in this season for my own health and growth. Because when, the more I can do that, the more I can bring that type of health to my mate, right? And so what I, what I would tell a person that's in a position of when is it time for me to leave, I would say you focus on you. You focus on what it looks like for you to grow in a season. You focus on what it looks like for you to mature in a season. You focus on what it looks like for you to commune with the Lord in a season. And to take that growth as God is showing to you, and you take that, whatever that is, and you bring that back to the marriage. Because if you can't bring it back to the marriage, ultimately, that's the thing that causes us to suffer, right? Is that we, we're not changing, and therefore, we're not able to bring a new us to the situation in this equation. So what I would say is it's not necessarily about your mate. It's more about you and how you are maturely communing to the Lord above. So mm-hmm. good question. This is my uh, last marriage question. Then we're going to shift gears to the uh, the single part. Um, do you think love, oh, is, Lord. <laughs> love is enough to keep a marriage together? Say it again. Do you think love is enough to keep a marriage together? No. I think mature what? love is enough to keep a marriage together. Commitment keeps a marriage together. Mm-hmm. It has to be commitment. You have to be committed first before you feel a feeling of love. And if you don't know what mature commitment looks like, then love won't be enough. You have to, you have to determine in your, your heart of hearts that you are committed to this thing. You cannot, you cannot allow the feeling of love to dictate what the commitment is. So what I would say for many people who are struggling, who are wrestling, who want to see change within a relationship, is that you have to start with the commitment because the commitment dictates the intimacy and the intimacy is what we call love. And if you allow yourself to endure within a mature commitment, 
Now you have the groundwork to be able to say, man, I'm, I'm committed no matter what, whatever comes up. Right. Um, and we'll, we'll wrestle through whatever comes up. If you don't have that, now you're dictating the feeling to be the thing. It's like my kids. Right. My children are amazing. They're funny, but sometimes they're crazy. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they're breaking stuff. They're doing stuff that they shouldn't. Um, they're causing me grief. They're causing me pain. But the thing that allows me to endure is the fact that I'm committed to them and they're not going anywhere. And I love them to death, right? And this is what I'm saying, what happens in a, in a marriage is that you are voluntarily saying, I love you and I'm committed to you. And that commitment allows me to say, I'm going to wrestle with you through those things. And without that commitment, I found myself only at the mercy of what I feel. And what I feel, Lisa, the problem with what I feel is what I feel changes from day to day and <laughs> changes from moment to moment, right? So sometimes I feel like I really love my wife and I'm just so enamored by her. But then there's other moments where I feel like I don't like her and I don't want to be around her and I'm not really like excited about what she has to offer in that moment. And if I depend on that feeling, it causes me to step away from her and it diminishes the, the, it diminishes our intimacy. But when I'm reminded of that commitment, the commitment says that no matter what she does, I'm committed to her and we're going to endure. And so what I would say is, if you don't have the healthy sense of commitment to that person, it doesn't matter how much you love them or how much you say you love them, because ultimately that will fade because it can't mature in Love only matures within the, the ground of work of commitment. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Yeah. And that uh, I always say that unconditional love is on the other side of forgiveness and reconciliation. So until Absolutely. you get to that, until you cross the forgiveness and reconciliation part, you only have a conditional sense of love. Um, for those who are single that are listening to this, I think, I think something that we've discussed uh, before several times is the importance of cultivating um, unconditional love in platonic friendships to prepare you for romantic re romantic relationships or marriage going forward. And I was watching an interview of a show talking about his um, him him reconciling with Cray, and he said something interesting. We have a healthy. Uh, kind of we, we we focus on our relationships and marriage, but we don't spend enough energy on how we should treat our friends, uh, platonic friendships. And so that gives us an imbalance in in, uh, in Christian community. Um, why do you think that's important for us to cultivate those relationships in, in singleness um, and be able to commit to people uh, in the body of Christ, even in, in, in our own families outside of the marriage relationship? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, we we discredit what we're doing in the platonic realm and how it affects our romantic relationships. And we don't believe that how we practice is how we play. And so what I would say is, in a lot of ways, if you don't see the connection between how you treat your friends will be how you treat your spouse, then you will ultimately carry over baggage of unresolved issues into your romantic relationships. And so I love the fact that show talked about how 
for the first time, he recognized the need for us to engage, reconcile, um, confront different things within our own plutonic relationships. And that gave him the power to take that same mindset and to apply it to his marriage, apply it to his business, apply it to different things. And so I think we lack the understanding of what continuity does for us. And continuity allows us to see that what we do in different realms does, literally carries on. So if you don't have integrity in your business, you won't have integrity in your personal life. If you don't have um, consistency in your, you know, with your children, it's going to be struggle to have consistency in your work life. And, and it really is really what it is. It's this whole idea that this is my character and this is who I am. This is not something I do when I cut and, and when I flip the switch. Right. And so I love the fact that show talked about his platonic relationships, that he had to start applying those things, not just when he flipped the switch, but he had to apply those things in his plutonic relationships. And so it's very important that if, if you have issues that come up with your roommate, that you resolve those issues, that you talk very, you know, um, honestly, you talk with humility, you talk with a lot of concern, but ultimately you recognize that if I don't resolve this thing, that I'm going to find myself in a situation down the road where I'm having an unreconciled relationship that will not allow me to move forward. And I think if you don't practice that enough in singleness, it's going to be a struggle to practice that when you have a lot more on the line, right? And so it's essentially what Jesus said when he talked about the pair of the talents. And he talked about this idea that if you can't steward one gift well, then if I gave you three or five gifts, then you wouldn't be able to ultimately um, steward those things in the same way. And so it's the same exact thing is that if you can't steward your roommate situation, you're not going to be able to steward another situation that says there's much more on the line in the United States. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the things you shared before we started recording was uh, you think it's important for uh, Christians of the opposite sex in friendship relationships to be able to show love that's not necessarily romantic, but that absolutely the other person uh, in just friendships. And I think that's important because I've, I've talked to you about this, that sometimes Christian men, single men can be very interesting and in their <laughs> interaction. What does that mean? Lisa? What do you mean? interesting? What do you mean? <laughs> it seems to be not, they not know how to interact in just platonic realms without it's like an emphasis on, I got to stay 10 feet away from you. And it's like, Hey, we're just trying to be friends and not, not romantic. I've heard that from a lot of uh, my Christian sisters and experiencing myself where it's kind of like Christian men sometimes can be very weird, more weird. I mean, and, and dudes that are unchurched or non-Christians can be cool around women that they're friends with. But then sometimes Christian dudes just get real, real weird. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to fall. <laughs> like, dude, I just say hello. Like, yeah. um, yeah. It's an yeah. imbalance and not knowing how to interact. And it's kind of, it gets kind of strange. you like, <laughs> so um, how do you think that uh, Christian men and Christian women should interact as friends and um, what are healthy ways they can affirm each other without it being necessarily romantic? Yeah. I mean, you know, I shared this before with you. I think that <clears throat> we starve one another of healthy affirmation. 
Um, it is very difficult to be affirmed in that community because you don't want to be mistaken. You don't want somebody to believe something about you that you're not intending to give off. And because of it, we find ourselves in situations where we either step away from it or we over-engage in a situation. And I think that what we have to fight to do is to give you the dignity, the honor, and the respect for who you are and the value that you possess in a way that does not, um, is not necessarily romantic, right? Because when you starve people of something, right? Let's just say, you know, I went on a fast for like seven days. And I remember after the seventh day and eating for the first time, the first meal that I had was the most amazing meal that I ever had in my life, right? And it was like a bowl of soup. <laughs> um, yo, literally, this Campbell's soup was the best soup I ever had in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And it was because simply, it wasn't necessarily that it was the best meal. Mm -hmm. It was because I was being so deprived of nourishment mm -hmm. that the first thing I got was overwhelming. It was like literally the best bowl of soup I ever had in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I don't think we we credit enough in our own relationships is that when you starve somebody of something that the first sign of what they get literally is the best thing they ever gotten in their life. And I think the same thing with the body of Christ is that if you can't affirm your sisters and the brothers and their dignity and their beauty and their characteristics, then what you find yourself doing is starving them of healthy affirmation, and then you make them vulnerable to um, predators. You make them vulnerable to people with low character. You make them vulnerable to people who with bad intentions. You make them very vulnerable because the first sign that they get of that thing now is the best thing that they ever had, right? And so what I would say is, as single men and women, specifically within the body of Christ, you have to make it a regular practice of affirming the dignity and worth of the people you're around. Otherwise, the moment they get a situation of, girl, you're beautiful, guy, I really appreciate you, you're a great guy. Now it's like they've been starving for so long, that's the best thing that they've had. Mm -hmm. And they can find themselves successful accessible to a relationship or susceptible to a relationship that they never should have been in simply because the people around them had not um, been intentional in a way that they should have been. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important even with uh, male and female relationships to remember that things look different in our generation. Uh, one of the things my friend always talks about is the fact that, you know, there are more women who are in leadership and in, in managing positions leading organizations. And so if you haven't learned how to interact with women outside of romantic relationships, it's going to be very difficult for you in this, uh, in this 21st century, because I could just speak Absolutely. for myself as a woman who leads an organization in a male dominated field. It's sometimes very interesting if people don't know how to interact with a woman, yeah. that's not, you know, that they feel that might be their equal in a sense because they've always yeah. felt women in a particular position. And so it's, it's, it's important, I think, for men to understand how to interact with women that on a non-romantic level 
and just to have a friendship, whether they're married or single, because you're going to have to interact with these women because they're in power. So it's not like, you know, the 50s and 60s where the men went to work and the women stayed home. So they would never have to have meetings uh, with, with women. But this is a different day. So you have to navigate that space, be able to do it with character and integrity and still not be weird. Um, and I think <laughs> Important uh, for, again, for you can't be weird. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so I think I think that's important. What would you encourage the men that are watching that don't necessarily know how to interact uh, with women? Because I know you told the story to me earlier about how one of the sisters was like, "Oh, do you like hate me or something?" And then you had to grow yeah. into uh, navigating that space in a better way. No, absolutely. So I, I just kind of bought into the Franklin Graham, I mean, into the Billy Graham rule that says you never interact with the, a female. And I think what happens is you don't know how to give, um, you don't know how to be around a woman beyond being married to her. And really what it does, at least, it is undermines what Paul talks about when he says treat older men like a father, rebuke them gently, treat older women like a mother. And then treat women with purity as as if they're your sisters, right? And I think what it happens is is that we don't have enough practice with those things, and we find ourselves in situations where when we do come into contact with a person, we've so embraced these cultural narratives that are anti-biblical that we don't know just how to be family, be cool, um, have a good rapport. What does it look like? And so it actually causes us to be panicked in those situations. We really should not necessarily necessarily have a panic, but have, you know, appropriate boundaries within it. And so what I've had to learn through the times is that I need to figure out what it look like to be around my sisters in Christ without becoming this weird ordeal where I have to have my wife sitting directly next to me. And the only way I can talk to you is because she, you know, she's she's sitting there in the situation. But again, it's creating the appropriate boundaries and saying, I'm already in a covenant commitment. I'm literally engaging you as my sister. I'm not crossing the boundaries. And then we have to figure out what it looks like to love one another in a plutonic way and not necessarily grow the muscle of the romantic love. And I think that's probably one of the downsides for us is that We've only taught one gear of love. That mm -hmm. the gear of love that we've taught is explicitly romantic. It's not plutonic. And you have to model out what plutonic friendship looks like to where I can honor you as my sister without crossing the boundaries of being interested in you and wanting to be more than just, you know, your brother in Christ, right? And because we haven't seen a lot of that, Oftentimes, many of us struggle with the notion of just being friends, just loving on a person, knowing when to pull back, knowing when to when push forward, knowing when to speak into a person's life. And because of that, our family dynamic is often. So what I would say is, if you don't really feel comfortable talking to, you know, sisters in Christ, I would say you're missing a, fine, a, a family dynamic, is that my fa my sisters need me. They need me to speak into the situation. They need me to love on them and then vice versa. I need them. And, and I would say verse wise, Jesus says something very amazing in Matthew 22. 
they're asking this guy, you know, if this person dies and this person dies and this person dies, whose wife will she be? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, you, maybe you don't know the scriptures. He says, but in heaven, we will not, you'll be like the angels. There'll be no marriage, right? That you'll literally be able to love one another in a way that reflects this universal love, not necessarily just this covenant love to one person. And he's highlighting this idea of being brothers and sisters and this whole idea of what that looks like on an eternal spectrum, not necessarily just the romantic love. And so what I think he's pushing at in that is that, man, we need to have the spectrum that includes the plutonic love that we have as sincerely as a brother and sister, not just as a, as a romantic love that we have for one another. And Jesus so. modeled that. He had women around him all the time and still... All the time. Yeah, and treated them as sisters and was able to yep. to have healthy relationships. So if we look at Jesus, we could we could see that. And I and in a sense, if we're not able to do that, we're not modeling our savior. Um, Absolutely. So I think that's important. Um, for those who are listening and feel like they're because I know in the Christian world we we push marriage. Uh, it's so hard that sometimes people that are single don't feel like they're a whole person unless they're they're married to another person or they're they're less than. Um, and I think it's really important because we we focus on Jesus and Paul, who were both those are our heroes in in scripture, and they were both single. So uh, for for single people who are really struggling um, and not because they aren't married and they may feel less than and they feel like they can't do up their identity and purpose until they're married, what what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, know that you're enough. You know, there's a lot of blogs, there's a lot of <clears throat> conferences that really emphasize the idea of that you're enough, but I think you need to embrace that. It's very difficult because we think that once we arrive to a certain status, that that means that we're enough, right? Jesus gave this this thing. He says that um, the they went out and drove out demons, and they went and did perform miracles. And he says, don't put your stock in that. Put your stock in the fact that your name is written in the book of life, right? And I think that's difficult because we always look at what we do and not who we are. And if he has made us enough, then we don't have to go out and do more in order to be accepted. We don't have to do more in order to be loved. And we don't have to do more in order to have value that we already have worth and we already have value and we already have love simply because of what he's already done for us. And so what I would encourage people is despite the cultural narrative, is that you already have worth, you already have value, you already have love, and you need to fight to understand what that means because the more you understand what that means, the more you'll, the more you'll be able to live confidently in that, right? But I would also challenge those who are in, you know, engaged or married or dating, that there's a level of responsibility that you now have because now you've entered into a new space where God is trying to change you through another person. He's not just trying to change you through suffering. He's not just trying to change you through trial. He's not just trying to change you through sanctification. He's changing you through a direct relationship with a person that you're in covenant commitment with. And that relationship 
is to kind of um, become the warning sign of his relationship with you, right? And so that's kind of the thing is that there's this new school of thought that says, well, we're all equal. These things are kind of the same. Well, they're not the same. If you're married, there's a different type of sanctification that you endure. If you're single, there's a different type of sanctification that you endure. But the endurance and the marriage and the endurance and the singleness ultimately is to bring you to the Lord. That's the end goal. That's the punchline. The punchline is, do you look more like Jesus? The punchline isn't whether or not you're married or whether or not you're single. But they're two different type of endurances and they're two different types of the sanctification. And so I'll say for those of us who are single, know that God has not forgotten you. Um, know that God is listening to you. Know that God doesn't see you as lesser than somebody who is in a covenant relationship. But also recognize that once you get married, he brings a different type of dynamic. He brings a different type of circumstance. He brings a different type of sanctification simply because he's using a physical, I, I'm sorry, a physical, visible person that allows you to see yourself in a way that you could not necessarily have seen had you been single. Hmm. So that's what I would say to those who are single and those who are married. Amen. Tell tell our listeners a little bit how they, about how they could get your conference at their churches, the Build a Better Absolutely. Up conference, and also how they could get in contact with you personally. Absolutely. If you go to buildabetterus.com, we do events and we do small groups. Um, we do an event called Pursuing Extraordinary, which is a one to two day event where we ultimately overview the idea of marriage and relationship and family and what does it look like and what's it like to be mature and in, in, um, progressing in this idea of being married. Um, if you hit me up at BJ116 on Twitter, or you can go to BJ Thompson on, um, on Facebook. You can find me and connect with me. And what I would say is this, our role is to help develop people who change the world. Um, and when I say that, I mean worldview transformation, not behavior modification that allows you to experience life in a way that maybe you've never experienced it before so that you can impact everything that you touch and come in contact with. So absolutely. That's awesome. And for those who are watching and say, what does this have to do with apologetics? We usually go in depth with, uh, the orthodoxy, but I think I'm very passionate about us being able to practice uh, the scriptures. And if you can't love who you're with, if you can't love your friends, if you can't love your family, then you might have to push pause on being able to to uh, recite all the right information and go actually practice it because that's going to be a better defense for the Christian faith. Um, Absolutely. Uh, BJ, for your time, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jude 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. 
Remember, here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.